day. Um, I am probably the biggest mama's boy there is. I love my mama. She is 86 years old, and I go and visit her just about every Friday down in Norwalk. And, uh, <laughs> oh, geez. Um, it's interesting because my son took after me. He is like the biggest mama's boy as well. And I tell young men all the time, it's okay to be a mama's boy because they spoil you rotten. Um, whatever you want, they will take care of it. My son, I mean, he just can call his mom and it's like, what do you want, honey? You know, blah, blah, this and that. She'll cook him every, anything. I, oftentimes she's making something. I'm thinking, what, is Daniel coming up or something? Because never make that for me. Um, but it's interesting, even with my mom, I go and I'm with her and every week she still gives me money. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, mom, I don't need your money. Here, here, it's, it's, you make such a sacrifice to come here. It's like, mom, it's not a sacrifice. It's my joy. I get to be with you. But yeah, and then the, if the gas goes above $4, she's trying to slip another 20 And it's like, mom, you don't need to do that. But man, oh man, what would, we, what would we do without our moms? Every one of us has a mom. And guys, I just want to bless you guys. I want to pray for you moms that are here today and just pray a blessing upon you. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you for all the moms that are, that are here this morning, Lord. God, we just want to pray that, God, you would just have your hand upon them, Lord. Many who are older, Lord God, and their kids are older, Lord God, they're, they're rejoicing with the grandkids and all, Lord God. And you have seen them through, Lord God, the raising of their children, Lord. And I pray for those young moms that are here right now, Lord, who are struggling even in their life, Lord God, as they raise their children. Give them strength, I pray, God. Con con continue to pour out your, your blessing upon them, that, Lord, they would see, Lord God, your hand upon them and, and using them to teach their children. Lord, give them the strength. I pray for those moms who are struggling right now, who feel so inadequate, Lord God. Please watch over them. Give them your wisdom, your encouragement, Lord, your comfort. Encourage them, I pray, God. And Lord, for all of us, Lord God, who have moms, Lord, I, I know that many don't have their moms now. And I pray for them, Lord, that you would just comfort them in this day as they remember their moms, Lord. God, give them encouragement. <clears throat> Bless them. Help them, Lord God, even in their time of sadness and grief still, that you would just lift them up as they remember their moms. And for those of us who still have our moms, Lord, help us to bless them, to be there for them, Lord God, to take care of them. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> ah, moms. <laughs> We are in Second Peter chapter 1 this morning. We have been in this chapter for the last couple of weeks and uh, we will be in this chapter at least one more week. I love the fact that Peter wrote Second Peter. <clears throat> Only because I got so close to Peter as we were going through uh, our first letter. And I, even though I was kind of bummed as we were kind of closing up First Peter, I knew that Second Peter was right around the corner and I could still hang out with Peter. And, um, and so I, I just, Peter, Peter has become one of my favorite guys, you know, um, to hang out with. 
And I know that might sound a little strange. It's like, oh, you're hanging out. It's like, man, I love when I'm in a book and I just get to know the author. And I'm getting to know why he's writing things and who he's writing to, trying to, to figure out his heart. And I become close with these guys. Right now on, on Thursday nights we're in Romans and I just love Paul in Romans and, and, and his heart for the Roman people and the people that he was writing to. But Peter, Peter is again one of those guys that we can, most of us relate to because when we first see Peter come to Jesus, he is, he is like blowing it everywhere. And I think that's why a lot of us can relate to him because he's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always speaking up when he shouldn't be. And he's always doing stuff when he shouldn't be. And he's always doing stuff and so we can relate to him. But Peter, um, as we get into the book of Acts and something happens to him to where he, he, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And even then, he still does things through the book of Acts that we see as like, Peter, geez, you don't have to do that. Or quit questioning it. Just do it, Pete. And, um, and so we can relate to him. But it's interesting because when you start reading his letters, man, oh man, you get a different feel for Peter here. He has become quite a godly man. He has matured in his, in his walk with God. As he has been ministering, as he has been getting older, and he begins to write, and you see his passion because he's gone through it, and so he's preaching with some passion because he understands when he messed up and how God has redeemed all those things. And so Peter is just one of those guys for me that I've just gotten close to and I just love hanging out with him in studying his books. Um, And as I shared with you in the introduction a few weeks ago, Peter is at the end of his life. There will be, there there will not be a third Peter (laughs) because he will be dying within a year of writing this book. And so Peter does not beat around the bush in this book. Not that he beats around the bush ever. Peter is pretty upfront. He says what he thinks and he's going to say it. And it's not like First Peter was kind of wishy-washy. No, it was pretty bold. It's a hard-hitting book. But here, as he knows that he is at the end of his life, he is going to be straightforward and he has a lot to say. You see, when someone comes to the end of their lives... And they know that their time on earth is not long anymore here on earth. They want to make sure to tell you what they really need to get out. They're not going to just say a whole lot of stuff, gibberish. (laughs) They're going to get to the point. They don't know how much longer they're going to be. And that's what 2 Peter is all about. He gets right to the point. Oh, don't get me wrong. He will encourage us through this. But he gets right to the point. And so as Peter is awaiting execution, he is right now in his, as he's writing this, he is probably in his early to mid-60s. Doesn't seem that old. (laughs) Not when I'm 55. Um, But he's older now and he's uh, he's ready to die. Not of old age. He's going to get killed. He's going to be martyred. And he knows that his time of departure is at hand. And so he is not going to be negligent. He's not going to be careless with his time. 
You see, for Peter at this moment right now, time is of the essence. And you know, it should be for us as well. Because we are not promised tomorrow. Time for the Christian especially is of the essence. Because there are things that we need to say, need to be sharing with people that God does not want us to hold back because we are not promised tomorrow. And so I want to encourage you as, as Peter encourages us through his letter that time is of the essence. We need to be ready. <laughs> he has already told his readers as we have covered in the first part of the chapter, he's already telling them to give all diligence to grow in the Lord, to give all diligence, to add to their faith those things that he put down in verses 5, 6, and 7. He's already encouraging them to do those kinds of things. And this morning, he is reminding them to be even more diligent, to make their call an election sure. In other words, we are to make haste. Make every effort with all eagerness to grow in the Lord and to add to our faith. Then we are to be even more diligent to know where we stand in Christ. Because if we know where we stand in Christ, we will be able to stand with Christ. And so Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. To verse 14. We will cover from 9 to 14 this morning. But let's start in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing 
that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ shows, showed me. I know I told you that we're going to go from verse 9 to verse 14, but let's go to verse 8. I know we covered it last week somewhat, but here we have what an amazing promise of growth in this verse. He says, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor nor unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You you see, if a believer is not growing spiritually, he is barren. Which means that he is idle and ineffective. Which in turn makes him unfruitful. Being unfruitful is the opposite of being fruitful. Obvious, right? If you're not being fruitful in your life in the Lord, then you are unfruitful, he's saying. I, I, I would have to say that Satan doesn't want people to get saved. Wouldn't you agree? He does not want people to become born again. He wants to keep them right where they're at. He doesn't want them to be. I think he works really, really, really hard to keep people from getting saved. Oftentimes, at the end of the message, we give a, 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 an a, a, an offering, or not an, a wet, an altar call, or, or you know, an, uh, an opportunity, an opportunity. That's what I'm looking for. We give people an opportunity. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you know, raise your hand, come on down, get prayer, accept Jesus. And every week, I know that there are people who walk out of here still not saved because all of a sudden Satan's going, "You don't want to do that. You don't 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 raise your hand. If he tells you to raise your hand, don't do it again." And he's talking, him, talking them into not doing it. And he reminds them, he says, like, if, if, you, if you like raise your hand, that means commitment. And you know how you are about commitments. You're not good with commitments. So you shouldn't even commit to this because you know that you're going to fail. And so you shouldn't even do it at all. I mean, that's some of the battles that Satan is doing in the midst of, hey, come to Jesus. Come accept Jesus. All you have to do is raise your hand in your heart, blah, blah, blah. All this and that. And all of a sudden they're going, oh, no, I can't, I, I, I can't do that. And so Satan is working so hard to tell people you don't want to do that. But if somebody does get saved, he wants them to, to be barren and unfruitful. He'll he'll let you be saved if if that's what you want to do. But he's going to want to keep you unfruitful. He wants to keep you idle and ineffective. He'll let you go to heaven, but he doesn't want you to take anybody else with you. And so don't say anything. (laughs) Go ahead, I'll I'll let you walk away from me. We've been friends for a long time, but go ahead, you want to go to heaven. You want to be Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, whatever. But he doesn't want you to, to be effective. He'd rather keep you idle. Now, the day that Satan lost me, I heard something similar from the first person I told what I had done. Within the hour of accepting Jesus that morning, I got in the car to go home from work. It was at work that it happened. And my uncle, who was there uh, while he had gone to go get beer, it was like early in the morning, and, 
and stuff like that. And, and I didn't take one that morning after, because when they left, I, ac- I accepted Jesus. And so when, when, when he came back and, and I didn't like drink with them and on the way home, he asked me, how come you didn't like want a beer? And it's like, I don't know. I just prayed to accept Jesus. And his reaction was, oh, no, mijo, no, ma. And it was almost like this disappointing thing. Maybe he felt like, oh, my little drinking buddy, you know, now he's going to love Jesus. And it was almost, this, and I don't think he realized what he was saying or who was behind it. But even as I was studying this and thinking about this, he says this, well, that's okay. But don't be like Dave. Dave was the one that brought me to the Lord that morning. And we all like used to make fun of him anyways because he was a Christian. But now I was hurting and I needed Jesus in my life and Dave was there. That morning, Dave was not ineffective. He was very effective that morning. He was not standing idle. I'm sure the enemy was telling him, oh, you don't want to pray with him. He's not going to pray yet. He's not ready. And yet he threw it out there and says, do you want to accept Jesus right now? And I said yes that morning. You see, the person that I love, my uncle, said, oh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get crazy. You don't want to go overboard. In other words, you should just, just stay the way you are. Don't do what Dave has done. And again, I don't think my uncle was trying to be malicious. He just didn't know any better. He just lost his, his, his little drinking buddy. You see, Satan wants to keep us idle. He wants to make us barren and unfruitful. But, he's, but, but, but it says here, if these things are yours and abound. And the word if can also be translated as or because. Because these things are yours, as these things are yours and abound, you will have fruit for your labor. You will have fruit for your labor. That means that, that you are growing in the Lord. That means that you can continue to grow in the things of God. There, there is no time to be idle if you're growing. When you're not growing, you're idle. You're stagnant. You're stunting your growth if you're idle or ineffective. If you are growing, you will be effective. And you will be producing fruit in your life. And not only in your life, but in the life of others or for the kingdom of heaven. You will be effective. With knowledge comes responsibility. Here here it says that if these things abound and are yours, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so once you have that knowledge of Jesus Christ, then there's a responsibility that comes with it. Having the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ brings about the responsibility in your life of what you do know. Because after that, you can't plead ignorance anymore. Even if you know a little bit about Christ, you cannot plead ignorance. It's interesting because before you were a Christian, you knew what Christians should be doing and not doing, right? 
Most of you guys knew that. You called them on it. When they were doing stuff, you're going, oh, Christians don't do that. But once you become a Christian, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what? You knew how Christians were supposed to live before that. But all of a sudden, you become a Christian, and you're pleading ignorance of like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't know. It's like, come on. We know what God requires. Even non-Christians know what God requires. They just don't want to do it. They don't have the responsibility that you do. So you can't plead ignorance. And then in verse 9, he says, for, for if, no, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. If you lack these things, if God, by his divine power, as we read earlier in verse 3, if God, by his divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, how is it that someone can still lack these things? If he has provided it, he, he has given it to us. Everything we need for life and godliness is already for us and in us. He's given it to us. How is it that somebody said, oh, I'm, I'm lacking these things? Something is wrong. Something is not right. It's not on God's part. It's on our part. Because God has supplied it. He has provided it already. And I would say that if we are lacking, it's because of us. We're wanting to be lacking of these things because it is already there for us. Peter tells us what the problem is here. It's short-sightedness, he says. He who lacks these things is short-sighted. And I looked up the word short-sighted in the Greek, and I'll, I'll mess it up. I, I practice it, but every time I get in front of you guys, you guys get me nervous. Moape. <laughs> Adzo, moape adzo, or something to that effect. Yeah, <laughs> that bewildered look over there is like, what? Why do you even try? I know, I know, I know, I, but I, I, I try. But I'll tell you what it means. It means cannot see afar off. To see dimly. See only what is near. The, the, the word that we get from that Greek word, the English word, is myopia. Some of you guys have heard that word. I didn't know. Some people have myopia. I probably too. I don't even know that I do. I don't know. But I looked it up in the dictionary, and this is what myopia is. A condition in which the visual images come to a focus in front of the retina of the eye, resulting especially in the defective vision of distant objects. Okay, that's number one. Number two is a lack of foresight and discernment, a narrow view of something. But then there was a little medical part of it. And the medical part of it says, a condition of the eye that makes it difficult to see objects that are far away. That's short-sightedness. Nearsightedness, right? Am I, am I right? Nearsighted? Myopia. Huh, who knew? A lot of people did. Um, 
And so what Peter is saying here, that if you lack these things, which things, the things from verse 5, 6, and 7, the things that he's telling us to add on to our faith about, if you lack these things, it's because you can't see afar off. You can't see afar off, and so you lack these things. In other words, the focus is more on you rather than others. You only see this far, what's pointed this way. And so you can't see what what is afar off. You're nearsighted, you're short-sighted. You can't see any further than yourself. (laughs) And so you become short-sighted. But you know what's worse than being short-sighted is being blind. But not just blind because you can't see because of no fault of your own. You're blind because you have your eyes closed. You can't see. It's almost like like somebody who who would say, I I forgot what you look like because I haven't seen you in so long. And they say, well, um, open your eyes and you can see me. That, that, that'd be silly, huh? It almost reminds me of the, the whole Three Stooges thing when Curly has his eyes closed. I can't see, I can't see. Why, why? I got my eyes closed. <laughs> On purpose, you have your eyes closed and you're saying, I can't see, I can't see. I, I forgot what your face looks like. It's like, I'm right there. Open your eyes. It's kind of silly. It's just as silly if you watch the movie Talladega Nights with Ricky Bobby. He gets into a horrible car crash. And he thinks that he is paralyzed from the waist down. And so he is in this rehab center and his friends are telling the doctor, is he ever going to be able to walk? He goes, oh, he can walk. He he thinks he can't walk. Well, he says he's he's not paralyzed. All he has to do is get up and walk. See, that's how silly this whole thing is that we become short-sighted or even blindness because we do it to ourselves. It's not because there's something wrong with us. Peter seems to be talking to some immature Christians here, but he's not. It seems like they have forgotten that their sins have been washed away, cleansed, but he's not talking to immature Christians. He's talking to Christians who are mature enough to understand the, the, or have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They understand that much, and yet they're, they're blinded. They're short-sighted in that sense. One of the first things that a new Christian should know is that God is a God God who forgives sins. He truly is a God who forgives. And that Jesus died on the cross for all their old sins. I, I, I don't understand how someone could come to Christ and not know that. Or understand that unless the person that was sharing with them didn't get to that point and didn't talk about sin. But even if they didn't cover that, and we should always cover that when we're sharing with people about salvation, they need to know what they're getting saved from, from their sin. If a new Christian starts reading the Bible just about anywhere, they're going to come to the knowledge that their sins have been forgiven. If they start going to a church who preaches the word, they're going to hear it regularly that their sins are forgiven. Now, 
if you have an understanding that your old sins have been forgiven or cleansed, how is it that you would want to be short-sighted? Knowing what you know, that you have been forgiven for all your past sins, everything past, present, and future even, why would you want to be short-sighted? Why would you want to be blinded? If God has already provided everything necessary for you, it's almost like leaving off your glasses or, or, or not putting your contacts in on purpose and using it as an excuse. Well, I can't see. It's like, um, excuse me, just put your glasses on. And you can see clearly. But it's almost that silly. God has provided everything for life and godliness and growth in our lives. And yet we take off our glasses, we take off our contacts, spiritually speaking, and we're saying we're short-sighted. I can't see. I'm blinded. Some think that Peter here is talking to some unsaved people, but he's not. If he was talking to the unsaved, then it would be Satan who has blinded these people. And they are still in darkness. No, he's talking to the believer. Those who have been cleansed from their old sins and they have forgotten that they have been or they have not become partakers of the divine nature. It's a choice that they're making to stay blind or short-sighted because God has provided everything for them. Verses 10 and 11 where it says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call an election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Because it is possible to be short-sighted and even blind as believers... Peter is encouraging these believers to be even more diligent to make their calling and election sure. That means to be more <laughs> diligent. That means that we are to do more and then do more than that. Do more and then do more than that to make sure that your calling and your election is intact. That means that you take it to a greater degree than what you've already gotten. If you've already been, like he says in, in verse what, verse 3, uh, where was it? No, verse 5, giving all diligence. Here he gives, he, he, he says, be even more diligent. Take it to that next level. And honestly, as I was looking at this and looking at the... the um, the intensity of what that word more means, like taking it up a notch, the only thing I could associate it with was going on steroids. <laughs> Serious. If, if, if you know baseball or you know sports and you know these guys who are already ripped and can hit it a hundred miles out of the ballpark and they're going, I want more. I want a little bit more. Uh, I want to be able to hit it even further. 
That, that, that means again that you want to take it to a higher degree. And the word diligent means to do all you can, be, be, uh, make every effort to be eager. And that word more does mean to take it to a higher degree. In other words, to enhance, improve, develop what is already there. Again, it's taking it up a notch. Now, I, I understand that we have nothing to do with our calling and our election as far as God choosing and calling. That is His sovereignty. He has already chosen. He has already elected. He has already called. I understand that. But once we are chosen, once we have received all that and we understand it, now it is up to us to do all we can. And I'm talking steroid status. I'm talking bulking up in the Word. In the things that God has called you. I mean enhance what you're already doing so that you can grow. So you can be more or be even more diligent. Go even further than what you're already doing. That's what he's telling the reader here. To do more. Now these things can only happen if we are open to grow. If we are willing to walk in the light as He is in the light. That means keeping our eyes open to what He has for us. If we keep our eyes open, it corrects our nearsightedness or our short-sightedness. If we keep our eyes open, it helps, <laughs> it corrects our blindness. Our voluntary blindness, I would say. And then he says this, If you do these things, you will never stumble. Is that amazing? What an amazing statement. If you're doing these things, you will never stumble. How can somebody make such a claim? <laughs> You will never stumble? He said, no, not if you're doing this. I underlined that one. <laughs> like, whoa. You, you should underline. That, that is such an amazing statement. That word stumble means to fall. It means to trip up or experience a reversal. If you're doing these things, you will never drop back. You will never go back to what you know is sinful and wrong. You will never stumble, he says, if we're doing these things, if we're, 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 we're doing even more, or if we are even being more diligent, you will never stumble. I, I, I think that's just fascinating. That he can make a claim like this, and for us Christians, we could not stumble like he says. If we walk around with our eyes closed, guess what happens? We stumble. If we're short-sighted, we stumble. Because we have our eyes closed. Someone who is doing all he can to grow and is growing and is drawing nearer or closer to Jesus and becoming spiritually mature is less likely to stumble. He says you won't stumble. 
because he is more aware of his spiritual surroundings. Because he's not just seeing with his physical eyes, he's also seeing with his spiritual eyes. He sees who's behind some of these things that make us stumble. That it's the enemy. Little will shake this person because they're not being tossed to and fro with everything that comes their way and they're always struggling. Why? Because they're short-sighted. I could guarantee you, if you are struggling all the time in the sense that you're always doubting, in the sense that you're always down, in that sense, I could guarantee you, you are not in your word daily. I could guarantee you that. Because if you're doing all you can to be more diligent, it says here that you will not be stumbling like that. Little things don't, don't shake them. Because he's able to get around the obstacles that are there. These, these are obstacles, not barricades. An obstacle is something that you can get around. Why? Because he's probably using the Word of God as a lamp unto his feet and he could see what's happening in front of him. He, he could see a little further because the lamp is shining his path in front of him and he's not stumbling all over the place. If I had one of you guys run around this room, I'll, I'll pick a younger guy. Um, not Terry, he's pretty fit, man. He's pretty like, mm. If I had Terry run around this room with the lights on and, 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 and his eyes opened, um, even if we messed up the chairs, it's like, okay, Terry, as fast as you can, get from one side to the other side. He would make it. He's, he's pretty fit. Um, he would make it way quicker than I. Because some of you guys are going, don't call on me because it'll still take me a long time. I know. That's why I pick on Terry here. But he would have no problem making it from one place to the other. If the lights are on and and his eyes are open, man, he will maneuver around everything and get to the other side. Bam. Right? But if we turn off the lights on Terry, because we have no windows in here, it gets pretty dark. And I say, okay, Terry, before your eyes adjust, run now. Take off. Even if we had everything in a row, He's still going to stumble and fall. Why? Because it's dark. He can't see. He's going to, and then we'll throw stuff in front of him anyway just for make fun. <laughs> just to see him fall. I would do that. But it would, it would make it harder for him to maneuver because he can't see. He can't see this close. When you turn off all the lights at once really quick, you can't. He will be hindered in his progress to move forward. And those of you who are being hindered day in and day out in your progress to move forward are short-sighted or blind because you're not using the Word of God as a lamp unto your feet. You're not. He says in verse 11, he says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is a reward for those who are growing and doing all they can, being diligent. Those who are here on earth, there is a reward for you. 
those who are making their calling and election sure, they will receive a glorious and rich welcome into the everlasting kingdom, it says. I like the way the Amplified puts this. It says, thus, there will be richly and abundantly provided for you entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That sounds like a wonderful and lavished welcome home. My good and faithful servant. It, it just sounds like, like, like a, a parade or a welcome home that somebody gets when they come, come home from a war or from battle, from a long journey. It will be a glorious homecoming to those who have fought the good fight, to those who have finished the race and kept the faith. It will be, or there will be a joyous arrival upon entering into the kingdom of God. Again, he is encouraging us even through this time as he's telling us, you need to do these things. He says, there's a reward for it. It's not in vain that God tells you, hey, do all you can. Verses 12 to 14. It says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus showed me. For this reason, for this coming home, he says, that is awaiting for us, I will remind you of these things. And and, and also I think for the reason that people can easily forget that Jesus has done everything on their behalf. You know, we, 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 we say we know him and yet we forget that he's that faithful. He says, I'm not going to stop reminding you of what he has already promised. Peter says, I will remind you till I breathe my last, until my tent is deflated. For those of us behind the pulpit, (laughs) I will not neglect or be negligent to remind you as well of what the word of God says about these things. There, there are people who say, oh, I've heard it all before already. And it's like, yeah, well, it's nothing that you haven't heard, but I'm here to remind you of what the Word of God says. It, it is nothing but a reminder, guys, because we forget what we should remember and we remember what we should forget. Isn't that true? We forget what we should remember and we remember what we should forget. And that's why it's just a reminder. Time and time again. For those who are new in Christ or new to, to, to Christ, everything is new and interesting. At least it should be. But for those who have been around for a while, it is all a reminder, guys. You know it. A lot, a lot of people who are new, they might be like, man, that preacher boy, man, he knows how to preach it. That's all, man, it's so interesting. It's great. It's like, it's not that great. I'm not that great. 
because most of you guys know me. <laughs> and you know I'm just reminding you of what the Word of God already says. Oh, it might come out a little different sometimes, but I'm not making anything up. It's already written for me. What an easy job, huh? I don't have to think about that. It's already written. It's just a reminder that I get to do every week. Because most of the time, a lot of times, when I'm talking to people about what they're going through or what they're doing, I'm not telling them anything new that they don't already know. If they've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, I'm not telling them something new. They already know it. They're just not doing it. And sometimes they might be like, oh, wow. And it's almost like when it comes from somebody else instead of their husband or wife, they're like, receive it. It's like, whoa, that's pretty profound. It's like, no, oh, it's really simple. <laughs> it's been there. You already knew that. And oftentimes I do tell people, I'm not telling you anything new. But these reminders, we need to be reminded because like he says here, um, you know, that, that they know that and they're, they're already established in the present truth. They already know it. They're just not doing it. And like Peter, as long as I am in this tent, in this body, I will stir you up by reminding you. That's what I get to do, <laughs> is remind you of what God says in his word. It's interesting as Peter closes off this portion here, he says that knowing that shortly I will be put off or I would put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus showed me. Right after, in, in John 21, verses 18 and 19, right after Jesus restores Peter, he talks to him in verse 18 and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying what by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus tells Peter, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to die when you're old. It's like 65. That's not that old. But he was old. He says, you're, gonna, you're, 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 you're not going to be able to do what you want. They will, they will lead you and they will stretch your hands. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified and so they stretched his hands. And he went where he didn't want to go, but he went to the cross. And he says, or it says, tradition tells us, that Peter says, I'm not worthy to be, to be crucified like my Lord, so crucify me upside down. And so he died crucified upside down. Tradition says. And yet, he followed him to the death. <laughs> when Jesus says, hey, you, follow me. Are you willing to follow him to the death? Till you breathe your last. You see, Peter was not going to beat around the bush. He wasn't going to be negligent. He knew that his time was short. And listen, God may not tell us how we're going to die or when we are going to die. But one of these days, we will all put off this tent, every one of us. And we need to be reminded day in and day out of what the Word of God says. You know what the Word of God says. Don't just memorize it. Do it. Read it, not to read it. Read it to do it. And it will change your life.
As long as you have breath, you will be reminded. But as long as you have breath, be even more diligent to do what God has called you to do. Many of you, as we close in prayer right now, many of you are struggling. You're short-sighted and even blinded because you're not doing what God has called you to do. And you know that. And God wants to touch you. But you need to repent from that. Because it's something that you're doing. It's not nobody else's fault but your own. To be short-sighted, to be blinded, when God has provided everything that you need for life and godliness, repent. Ask God to forgive you. And do and be even more diligent than you ever were today to follow close to Him, to press into Him, to grab a hold of Him. And some of you who are here are blinded. Not because you want to, because the world has blinded you. Satan has kept you in the darkness. And again, I'll throw it out. Now we're going to have prayer teams up here and you have the opportunity today to accept Jesus in your life. Or you can listen to Satan and says, ah, oh, you don't want to do that. There's so many people here, they're going to see you. Like, who cares? Your salvation, eternity is hanging in the balance for you. So I want to encourage you. Be set free. Come into the light. Let, let Jesus be your light. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, again, what a blessing it is, Lord, to be able to look to your word and be reminded once again of what your word says, Lord. Father, whether people have gone through Second Peter or not, Lord, you've used other portions of your word to bring light, to bring life into people's lives. And Lord, there's people even here today, my brothers and sisters, Lord God, who right now are struggling with short-sightedness. They are being blinded because they have their eyes closed to what they know that you want done. And I pray for them right now, Lord. I pray that even right now, Lord God, they would ask for forgiveness and get right with you, Lord. Lord, they have been stumbling around, Lord God, because of it. And you have provided everything for life and godliness right now in their lives. And so I pray that, God, they would be set free from that. I pray for those whom Satan has kept in darkness, Lord, that this morning you would free them. I know you want to, Lord. You've provided your son already so they can be free. You just have to make that step or take that step. And so I pray that you would free them up, Father. Lord, for those, Lord God, who are, who are on steroids, man, and continue to move forward, Lord, bless them, encourage them, Lord God, as they move forward, as they be, uh, produce more fruit in their lives, Lord God, that, God, it would be a benefit to those around them to encourage their families, to encourage people at their jobs, at this church and in this community, Lord God. Continue to use them, Lord, in a powerful way. And we bless you and we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your grace. Oh, bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, there's people up here. Don't leave without getting prayer. I love you guys and be blessed. Have a great Mother's Day.